This is Sean Mandoli, and you're listening to the Hopeland Church Podcast. I hope you encounter God and walk in new levels of freedom as a result of listening to this message. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hopeland Church. I hope you enjoyed worship. We are about to dive into the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. This is part two. And we are going through um, an in-depth study of this book this month, okay? Um, after studying a little bit before today's message, I'm like, man, this could actually probably be a, easily a two-month series. We might do stuff like that in the near future here, just taking a little a more time walking through things uh, like this and really, really studying the Word together and getting in and understanding what God is saying, what God said, the cultural context, and all that good stuff. So... But um, here we go. We're going to jump in. So let me pray. Once again, part two, guys. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter one, um, last week we did like just this more summary of the book and kind of the history, the environment uh, of Ephesus and all that stuff and kind of talked a little bit about in the book of Acts where it kind of gives some narrative in Acts chapter 18 and 19 of when Paul was there. And so uh, we're going to dive into chapter one now. We're going to start with verse one, but let me pray and let's let's jump into this. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We pray you speak to us. We pray you give us revelation. God, we pray that we don't just understand it intellectually. We pray that we are changed spiritually. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your word is a sword of the spirit. Lord, so we pray that it does that work in us. It, it divides the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. God, we welcome you to judge, to weigh out, to balance out the thoughts of our heart. And Lord, uh, we open up ourselves to your word so we can be changed by it today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, here we go. So Ephesians 1, just a little bit of history here. I'm not going to go too much into it as we start. But um, the uh, Ephesian letter, which other letters written um, at this time, we're talking the first century, they, they were actually considered circular letters, meaning he's addressing Ephesus, which is kind of like this gateway city, even from an economic and cultural standpoint, um, a lot like Los Angeles. Um, but uh, even for the church. So circular letter, meaning this letter was namely written to a city in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, but it was circulated and, and, and copied and distributed throughout Asia Minor, which was this region, modern day Turkey. So, um, so that's what it was, you know? So it was something that was more a letter to a region and to churches in a region. And so, um, and it was obviously, um, it is like the inspired word of God. And we, we honor it as God's divine word. But in the actual moment it was written and who it was written to, it was to the region in Asia Minor. So here we go. So chapters one through three, as we said last week, um, say this again, this is kind of like the first just thought here as we dive into Ephesians one, but as a reminder, Ephesians chapter one, verse three, sorry, chapter one to chapter three, it's the gospel story. 
It, it, I mean, so the next, the three chapters we're going to dive into the next few weeks, our next couple weeks, is, is the gospel story. It is what God has done. It is God's heart for us. It is, it is God's, uh, the mystery of the gospel revealed to us. It is Christ coming and what that means to us, how that positions us, how God has shown his value of us through the cross. Uh, and, and, and this is something that really it's like, um, this is kind of the summary of these three chapters is this, is all of history has come to its climax in Jesus, okay? And, and in his creation of this diverse community of followers. That's what this is. So a lot of people studying the word, historians, theologians, will even say, man, a theme of Ephesians is the church. And yes, that's true, that that's a part of it, but really, it's the gospel story. It is the birthing of the church is the gospel story. Um, who we are in Christ is the gospel story. The power and authority we have in Christ is the gospel story. That God chose us, elected us, predestined us, um, you know, before the foundation of the world, that is the gospel story, okay? That at the name of Jesus, every knee's gonna bow, right? And, and, that, and that all things are subject to him and all things are under his feet. That is the gospel story, okay? So first three chapters of Ephesians is what God has done. The last three chapters of Ephesians are your story or what you do now, right? How that looks. How does that really play out in real life as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as somebody out in the marketplace? How does that really look? So it's the gospel story. And as a result of what God has done, he starts to do things through us. As a result of what God has done for us, we turn around and do for others. So that is like the Bible, right? Like it is what God has done. And then through us, what he does through us. So God's grace is something he has done for us. And God's grace is something he does through us. All right, so there it is. That's Ephesians for you. All six chapters are right there. But let's jump into chapter one. Here it is, chapter one. This is the theme of chapter one we're gonna look at today. Hopefully we will literally read every verse from Ephesians one today. But Ephesians one, this is what it's about. As, a, as also a reminder, but just to set up today, it's about God's covenant family, okay? Covenant family, all right? That's what this is about. So Ephesians 1, verse 1, I'm gonna read uh, the first couple of verses here. We're gonna just read through this together. And it says here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, um, theologians and, and, and historians believe Ephesians 1 is somewhat, it is written because of Paul and his Jewish heritage and tradition. He wrote this. This is really, when, when, when Jews read this, because there, there was a synagogue in Ephesus, um, when Jews read this, it was very familiar to them, believe it or not, because of the manner and approach. It was like a Hebrew poem. Okay, if you notice, like in our English language, like it's almost like, um, you know, a huge part of chapter one is literally one sentence. Okay, so it's very much written in, 
a, a Hebrew style poetry, okay? And and much of, we don't know this as, as, as maybe as what we call ourselves Gentiles, or we're not Jews, right? We don't, is, is, but, but much of this very much is, is parallel and in line with actual Jewish prayers. Um, and, and they're, 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 it's, it's, it's rich with how Hebrew people would communicate in their writings. Okay. And what, what's the beautiful thing here is the Jews writing, of course, culturally, that's how he wrote culturally. That's where he came from. But the beauty of this is in his culture, in his manner, in his, in his style of writing, okay? It is Christ in it though. It is that he is connecting his heritage through the lens of his personal revelation of Jesus. He is, he is, he is taking all his education, every, all the Torah he had memorized, the, all of this, you know, the, the, think about the process this man went through just to become a Pharisee, to, to be learned in the Jewish tradition. And yet his revelation of Christ opened his eyes to see the revelation of Jesus through it all, okay? So even though there isn't any explicit reference to an Old Testament scripture per se here, it is written with, through the lens and the perspective and culture of a learned Hebrew scholar, okay? So, so that's the beauty, but the beauty of it is, is Christ. Why? This is why I wanted to say this before I continue to read is that um, God wants to touch you where you are, give you a revelation of who he is, where you are, because the culture you're from, the all of the elements, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what you have come from, God will touch and redeem and heal you through it, and you will express who he is through your culture, through your ethnic, ethnicity, nationality, um, life experiences. This is really the letter of Ephesians, just the language it was written in and the, the method of it was coming from a man that that was who he was culturally, but it was Christ in him, the revelation of Jesus in and through it. So what am I saying? You allow God to sanctify and touch every aspect of who you are. And, and you see and watch what he does in and through it. So verse three, Ephesians one, verse three to six, here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Somebody say amen. Verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, Verse five, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. All right, all those verses, it's like one sentence, right? It's just this, uh, this, this prayer per se, this, this Poetry expressed as to who the Christ is, what he has done, the gospel story, okay? And so here, this is what I want to say. Look at this. This, this is so powerful, okay? Um, everything here is about what God has done for us. Um, that is the gospel. This isn't, this isn't um, 
you know, uh, a meritocracy. Like it's not, we, we, this is unmerited, undeserved. And if you just look at, I just highlighted some of the words here and here. So in verse three, who has blessed us, blessed us. Um, verse four, he chose us. Verse five, he predestined us. Verse five again, as what adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, right? We didn't sign up for this per se. He, he adopted us. He blessed us. He chose us what, according to the good pleasure of his will. It's what he has done, right? Verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved, right? Religion, when religion gets a hold of us, when we allow religion in our life, it's all about what I do, how I do it. It's like, it starts with me. It's, it's my effort. It's my discipline. It's how I do it. I got to please God. And yes, those things happen. We please God. We seek God. We, we choose. We, I get, yes. But when you talk about the gospel story, it's about what he has done. This is, this is, this is not what we have done. And this is the thing too. I want to encourage you with this. Here is really my, 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 one of my main points today is this. Here it is. You got to lay hold of your identity daily. Why? Because think about all these good things this says. How many times, if we could be honest, do we forget this? Even as believers, we forget this. We get all lost and, and, and caught up in our, our depression, anxiety, fear, and, and, and just life and, and, and failure and, um, you know, broken promises of other people. And I don't, didn't quite measure up and, and I didn't quite perform well. And all this other junk that every human deals with. I'm here to tell you right now, you need to go back to Ephesians chapter one, verse three to six and remind yourself, he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That is the truth. I might not feel like it, but that's the truth. This is why I'm saying this. This is why this, the language of this point is so key here because in the fight of life, in the warfare of life, the spiritual warfare you go through, just, just life and, and situations, I'm telling you, and, and, and you know this is true out there, you that are walking with God, that you need to lay hold of your identity daily. You need to you need to grab a hold of it. You need to declare it. You need to, as my wife said last night at our Bible study, man, we, we've lost the art of scripture memorization in this generation. We don't really memorize scripture like we used to. We don't, you know what I'm saying? We don't challenge people to do that. And the point isn't for, for, for intellectual Bible knowledge, although that's great. It's to know who you are. And, and so we need to lay hold. This is what Ephesians this is what Paul was telling these people. This is what he has done. This is who you are. Chosen, accepted in the beloved, adopted as sons and daughters. Come on, predestined, chosen, and blessed to the praise of his glory. That is who you are. And let me challenge you today, Hopeland Church. You need to lay hold of the identity you are in Christ daily, okay? Todos los días, every day, right? Give me this day my daily bread, amen? So our faith is based on what God has done. Our value is based on what God has done for us. 
period. End of story. That is who we are, all right? That is who we are, okay? And here's my next point here, and this, this is in this verse here, verse six, is this, we're chosen to bring him glory, okay? That is it, that is it. That, that, that is our role, that is our vocation, that is your calling, um, the outside the specificity of what you uniquely are called to do, you are chosen to give God glory. You're not chosen to give yourself glory. You're not chosen to get up on top of the mountain and say, woohoo, look at me, right? You're not chosen to be the influential whatever. You're not chosen to, you know, no, 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 and no again. We are chosen to bring him glory. Verse six, let's look at it one more time. Ephesians one, verse six, to the praise. Well, all of that identity that he just stated there, okay? And, and identity, the, the language of identity continues throughout Ephesians one. But look at verse six, why? Why is it important? I'm telling you, you can't truly give God glory until you find out who you are in him. We, we I mean, we're, 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 you know, why? Because if we don't know who we are in him, we're gonna give glory to some other false identity, some heresy identity, some humanistic identity, some political identity, some identity that's based on natural things, identity that's solely based on biology instead of our spirituality. And, and it's a false identity. I'm telling you, false identity is nothing more than idol worship. It is the worship of another God. And, 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 and here, why? Why is it so important to know who you are in Christ, to meditate on it, to lay hold of it? Why is it? Because to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why. That is the purpose. Okay? And so Jewish people, man, when he wrote this, Jewish people understood, like, this is why we're chosen. I mean, you can look through Jeremiah, Isaiah, Okay, I, I got one verse just to reference that, that Paul was very aware of in this, but uh, Isaiah 60, verse 21, let's turn there. Isaiah 60, verse 21, I'm gonna read it quickly. Also, your people shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. Sounds a lot like Ephesians, but more in prophetic terms, right? Of, of, or as, as the prophet prophesied of, of, of the people of the, the, the children of Israel, right? The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, okay? And that, that, that's it. Ephesians 2 talks about we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, right? Look at this, that, this is God speaking now, that I may be glorified. All of that, why? So God could be glorified. So he could be glorified. Not me, not my way, not my mindset, not my intelligence, not my education, not my lack of education, right? Or not what? Not my abilities, not my talents, not my gifts, not my know-how, not my wherewithal, not my humanity, right? We are not gods. We are not gods and goddesses. There is one God, one true and holy God. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we are chosen, called, and given a divine identity in Christ. Why? To give him glory. That is it. No more than that. That is why. All right, let's go to verse seven now. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. And we're gonna read all the way to verse 11 now. Ephesians one, seven, all the way to 11. Here it is. It continues with identity here. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse eight, which he made to abound toward us 
in all wisdom and prudence. Verse nine, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, once again, the climax, all of history was leading to Jesus and comes from Jesus, okay? The fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Verse 11, in him also, we've obtained an inheritance, okay? People, the people of Israel understood this. Jewish people understood this. The promised land inheritance, and they knew someday they would inherit, right, heaven. And so he's tying all of their belief system, pointing it to Jesus. In him also, we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. All right, here it is. Here's my next point, folks. Jesus is the climax of our existence. He is the climax of our existence. All right, so here we go. Once again, as I just read Ephesians chapter one, verse seven to 12. Covenant family, bringing everything together here, okay? And, and as I said, okay, um, these first three chapters, I'm gonna say this again, and then what we'll kind of talk about those verses is, think about this. This is God, he's sovereign. He's a sovereign ruler. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, okay? He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He was before all things, and in him all things consist, as Colossians says, right? Um, so what is, what is going on here? Is that the gospel story, it's, this is all of history, all of history has come to its climax in Jesus, all right? And his creation of this diverse community of followers, that's us. This is what the gospel story is. It's God in his sovereignty. Words in here, like predestined, okay? All right, that he works, you know, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, purposed, which he purposed. It's not human purpose, it's divine purpose, right? Um, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, climax, dispensation, the fullness of time, this climax, etc., came to a point, shifting all of history and future, all right, in Jesus, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose. I'm reading verse 11 now. The purpose, here's purpose again. We hear a lot about purpose in this generation. We hear a lot about purpose. You got people who don't even know Jesus talking about purpose. We're not talking about, we're not talking about human purpose. We're not talking about human intent. We're talking about divine purpose, mystery of the gospel revealed to man. 
we do not have the intellectual capacity to fully capture all of who God is. That's why he reveals himself to us. Okay, he, we, he is revealed to us. He chooses to reveal himself to us. This is a spiritual revelation, all right? The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, okay? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, here it is. Once again, Jesus is the climax of our existence, okay? So, so in here, like just some context here, all right? So it was common, uh, Jewish belief that history was moving. This is prior to the incarnation. It's common just because of the scriptures. Scriptures like, you know, the prophets, Daniel, Ezekiel. So it was common Jewish belief, okay, that history was moving through different stages to its climax, okay? When everything would be put under God's rule, the Messiah, okay? So that was common. So Paul, that's his context. And he's speaking, writing as a Jewish man through a Jewish lens, okay? All right? And so even at this time, many uh, pagan or just philosophers, right? Um, they believed that the universe was permeated by God and would be absorbed back into him, okay? Um, that, that it would, that would, it would, that, you know, it was a common philosophical belief in that day, okay? But here Paul, okay, Paul is clarifying that through Christ, all is now subject to him, okay? So Jesus is the climax of what was a mystery to the Jewish people up to this point. And so uh, Paul is taking the Old Testament perspective that this Messiah will breathe all things subject to him. And he's saying his name is Jesus. And this is what was a mystery to us Jewish folks. He is the revelation of God. He is the, the this is the uncovering. He is the uncovering of what was to be and now is, all right? So, and the, the difference is this, is that the, the philosophers at the time thought that you know, the, the universe permeated with God and that one day it'd be absorbed, all would be absorbed into God. But, but that's not true. So it's, it's, it's a, it's, it, it has like a piece of the truth, but Paul was clarifying here and saying, no, that everything has culminated the dispensation of the fullness of times through the counsel of his will, he has revealed Christ. And it's not that all things would be absorbed into God, but now through Christ and his body, all things are being fulfilled, not being absorbed into God, but being made subject to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this is the gospel. The gospel, this isn't some Jesus my wife was recently telling me how she was listening to a preacher and you got so many people out there, they got Jesus and their crystals. You know what I'm saying? They got Jesus and their idols. 
They got, you know, we got Jesus and whatever other kind of demonic belief systems out there. And the, and, and, and the gospel, folks, the true gospel is that he is Lord, period. That all, like this is the counsel of God's will. This is what Ephesians is saying, is that we don't just come to Christ and mix him with every other idol. This is not, um, you know, this is not what the early church struggled with because the Roman Empire was was was, was saying, you can worship your Jesus, but you have to syncretize him with all these other gods. You got to put your idol up next to all these other ones because they're all the same anyway. Let's just syncretize because the Roman Empire wanted, wanted harmony in, in in their subjects. So they're like, look, you can worship your God or whatever, but just make sure that that that, that you that you do them along with every other thing. You know, just this amalgamation of whatever you want to believe, you can go ahead and believe it. We're all believing the same thing anyway. No, it, in Ephesians it say, no, this is the predestined purpose and counsel of God and he's brought all things to be subject to Christ. That is the gospel. There is no other gospel. This isn't some other, just some other religion. This isn't, this is what Paul's saying. And, and to a bunch of people that came out of occultic lifestyles, pagan lifestyles, and, and, and Jewish tradition, and he's like, no, all things. We were created to be to the praise of his glory alone, okay? Hallelujah, once again, no other God, idol, belief system, whatever, is, is, is him, is him, right? So, so once again, Jesus is the climax of our existence, hallelujah. All right, here we go, Ephesians chapter one. Let's read verse 13 and 14 now. This is speaking about the Holy Spirit. And it says here, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. All right. Now, I, I, we spoke on the Holy Spirit uh, not too long ago, and I, I believe we used this verse um, specifically. But here it is. My next point is this is his presence is a seal. OK, so so a seal, it just speaks of ownership when something sealed. It, it, when, when a letter was sealed, they would have a wax. Sig, they would have wax. They put some wax on it, have a signet ring. That signet means speaks of seal ownership that I stand by everything in that letter. OK, and so the Holy Spirit is a seal. It, it is, it is, it is, it is a God lays claim to us that we are his, that he is ours. We, he, it is this stamp of approval, if you will. It is the stamp of authority. It also uh, represents um, another term used, the guarantee of our inheritance. It is a down payment. He is the down payment. He, he is a foretaste of the glory to come. And so his presence, his spirit is a seal. It says a lot, it says a lot. Says, you know, that's identity. I'm his, I'm his. So here it is. Those who have tasted of the spirit of God, have you, have you tasted of his goodness? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you tasted, have you drinking of, have you drinking of the, 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 the river of life? Have you partaken of the Spirit of God? Have you tasted His presence? Have you been touched by His presence? Those who have tasted of the Spirit of God 
have begun to taste heaven itself. So the Bible says, so what's heaven like? The presence of God. I mean, we aren't going to fully know why because it's just a down payment. It's just a piece. It's a taste. It's a touch. It's not, it's not the whole thing, but it's a part. And so I, I believe when we get to heaven, it's not going to be entirely foreign to us. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the deposit. He is the taste of heaven itself. His presence is a seal. It's about identity. It's about who you are. His presence confirms who you are. Have you been in his presence lately? I'm telling you, what is that? That's what heaven's going to be like. Come on now. That's why anybody loved to be in church and worship with God's people. I'm telling you, it's heaven on earth. It sure is. That's what, that's what this means. His spirit, his spirit is a seal. What is that? Ownership. His presence confirms as to who we are. And his presence, his spirit confirms as to whose we are. I tell you what, when you're in his presence, how many of you know when you're in his presence, you, you, there comes a, a faith, a confidence, a faith within, a confide, a why? Because his presence is a seal. It, 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 is, it is the guarantee of our inheritance. And he's speaking of the inheritance of the, until the redemption of the purchased possession, speaking of heaven, speaking of future glory. And, and his presence solidifies us. His presence settles us. His presence plants us. His, his presence secures us. That's why we need to be in the presence of God. Okay, Adam messed up when he got out of the presence of God. When we get out of the presence of God, we malfunction. Why? Because his presence is the seal. It's the guarantee. It's, it's the stamp of approval. All right? His presence testifies of future glory. Right? His presence isn't just a feeling in the moment. It, is, it, it, is, it testifies. He testifies of future glory. Testifies of who you are and whose you are. All right, let's move on here. We're almost done, folks. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going to read all the way down uh, to verse uh, 21. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, all right? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, this is my prayer for you today, church, that may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray in the name of Jesus, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Lord, I pray, verse 19, and, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. I'm actually going to read verse 22 and 23. This is the end of the, the first chapter. And he put all things under his feet. The climax, the dispensation of the fullness of time. Not that all things, this new age philosophy, this 
this, um, the, you know, this um, heresy philosophy out there saying that, you know, always all religions, all this can, no, can lead to God. No, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. That's the gospel, all right? And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Hallelujah. Jesus, right? Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's my next point. Here it is. Simple, but write it down if you're taking notes. Know your authority in Christ. This goes back to the one of the themes we mentioned last week in Ephesians is power. I mean, why? Because you talk about Jesus and his body. You're, you unpack that. There's power. All right? All right? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body. He was, he, you know, he was raised from the dead by the spirit of holiness. Okay? He, he made a public, public spectacle of principalities triumphing over them through the cross. Okay? He reigns with all power and might. Most prayers in the, in the New Testament end with, to him be the glory and the power and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Come on now. The Lord's prayer, right? To him be the glory and the power and dominion forever and ever, right? And authority, like it's, it's an acknowledgement of the all-powerful, all-knowing supremacy and superiority of Christ. That's the gospel. So what does that mean for us? We need to know our authority in Christ. You need to know it. You need to know it. You need to learn it. Learn it. Study it. Who you are. Who you are. Your authority. Come on now. All right? So why? In this time, culturally, exorcists and magicians tried to manipulate demonic spirits by invoking their names. Okay? But Paul reiterates, and, and that these things happened in, in Acts and in Ephesus, uh, people trying to cast out devils in the name of the God that Paul preaches, and it didn't work because they didn't have true authority in Christ. They were trying to just kind of adopt what he was doing without truly having a revelation of Jesus. And the demons stripped him naked and they ran out. So, and those, you know, so it got violent, right? And, and, and Paul, in the same token, was literally, in the name of Jesus, was casting out devils. And so we need to know our authority in Christ. I'm telling you, if you haven't so yet, uh, you will run into some type of demonic experience or presence a time or two in your, I mean, you just, I mean, it's just demons are real. I'm not saying they're around every corner and they're going to possess you. I'm just saying whether it's through another person, an environment, um, through your own pursuit of God, the devil trying to um, attack you and tempt you and, and pull you away into the sin and, and, and things, you know, de demons are real. So we need to know our authority in Christ. Okay. And so, at this, at, at, so Paul reiterates the supremacy of Jesus' name over above all other names. Okay, um, meaning that he is higher than all the spirit powers invoked, and his name cannot be exploited. And you'll see that some people try to exploit his name; and they didn't really have rights to his name. They, 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 you know, to you know, to the Bible says to them who receive him, to them he gives the right and authority and power to become sons of God. So you got to receive Jesus if you want authority over demons in the name of Jesus, all right? So uh, so, 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 Paul, so this is just good 
Bible teaching, right? It's, you could see spiritual warfare. It talks about in Ephesians 6, 2 Corinthians. Um, and you see it all throughout the scripture. Um, uh, but Paul specifically speaking to a people that is just very real in their environment, very common, okay? And so Paul uses the common language of his day that the demonic angelic beings now were at war in the spirit. And, and so, and that these, now, now this is common in their day, okay? That, that there was a spiritual war playing out and demonic powers were controlling people in the world and, and, and things in the world, including political powers. Okay, so even some of the terms used for demonic spirits, principalities, powers, and stuff, those were actually also used, that language was used for political rulers, okay, for those in like the Roman Empire, um, mass killings and all this stuff. So the, he, they, they, he was saying, he was, he's co he was correlating that there are demonic powers at work through those in authority. Okay, does that mean that every politician is demon possessed? No, but he, what he's saying is that in his context, those in power in a specific context were being used by demonic spirits to, to harm, kill, and deceive people. All right, so it's pretty heavy stuff, right? So, so many believe that, that in this time too, that fate controlled our outcomes. And so there was this, this the cult of ISIS, I-S-I-S, believe that if you become part of this cult that you can overcome the 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 outcomes of fate okay and and so paul is saying no <laughs> he's saying verse 22 and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church verse 23 which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all okay so here it is i'm gonna end with these thoughts those in christ are raised above all these powers earthly or spiritual that we are we are elevated we are not they do not control our outcomes i don't care how powerful they are or demonic for that matter earthly or spiritual we in christ those outcomes are not we are not victims of fate or the control of political or demonic powers. Okay, so think about this real quick here. I'm almost done, but this was very encouraging to the people of Asia Minor and Ephesus. Why? Because many came out of occult backgrounds and many were experiencing the devastation of being under Roman rule. And, and, and seeing that they claim to be gods. The emperors claim to be gods. So I'm here to tell you today, no matter who's in power, or what power is operating out there, that all things in Christ are under our feet. Know your authority in Christ. I hope you enjoyed the message. And my prayer is that you will change your world as a result. If you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our weekend gatherings. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Peace.